0: Thank you for listening to this Reading the Bible Together podcast, available thanks to your support. Welcome to Reading the Bible Together. I'm your host, Angela Smith.
1: Jesus knows that the way of the one true God is to go through suffering and and, and to leave the granting of power in God's hands. Like You don't grab for it. You don't grasp for it. You leave it to God. That's only God's to grant, and Jesus is going to hes gonna do that. And so when he hears the temptation out of Peter's mouth to not go to the cross, he thinks, I've heard that before. It's come from the mouth of Satan. That is the satanic temptation, to grab for power, to grab for prestige, to grab for, you know, to, to go for spectacle or whatever is impressive, to build the The movement that Jesus is building by appealing to people's desires instead of speaking the truth about what it will cost.
0: We're continuing our series on the Gospel of Mark, and joining me again today is Dr. Timothy Gombas. Tim Gombas teaches New Testament at Fuller Theological Seminary and is the author of four books, including a commentary on Mark's Gospel, the Story of God Commentary Series, which I'm using. Um, as part of my study for the series. He has three adult children and lives in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome back, Tim.
1: Thanks very much. Glad to be here.
0: Uh, So we had such a great conversation on week one. I'm really excited about today. But before we get started, I want to ask you just a get to know you question. Where do you experience the presence of God the most?
1: That is a uh, that's a really complicated question (laughs) to me. And I thought about this because you gave me some advance notice. It's really, to me, it's a very, very, very complex reality, our experience of God in this world. And the reason that I see complexity there is really, I'm going to blame it all on the gospel of Mark. (laughs) Because in the gospel of Mark, um, Jesus talks about um, his presence with the disciples and then his coming absence. Mm -hmm. And I think that what I have been feeling and experiencing over the last maybe decade or two is... A mysterious combination of God's presence and absence. Hmm. Um, just sort of being reminded that this world is God's good world and this world is not yet in the condition that God wants it to be. And, but I was thinking about is there any place or any time when I tr- genuinely experience God's presence? And I think it is when uh, at my church, just up the road, it's just a small community. Uh, when we uh, participate in the Lord's Supper together, um, it's an Episcopal church, and so we celebrate the Eucharist. And when I uh, receive, I'm just reminded that I am one of a number of people mm-hmm. that are welcomed at Jesus' table. And mm-hmm. um, that, that, to me, is a powerful moment.
0: That's so It's good. a longer
1: answer than you may, may have been asking for. Yeah, in no,
0: I mean, and what I was expect- like mine is the North Shore in Minnesota, just by on the mm-hmm. shores of Lake Superior. It's so big, it's so grand, and it the the lake is so powerful that I'm almost, uh, like, I almost can't pray. I can't, Mm -hmm. you know, like prayer, meaning me speaking to God. I can just, I have to be because I'm so overwhelmed. Um, But what I appreciate about your answer is that I think that you're not alone in that in experiencing both his absence and his presence. I mean, it says in the scriptures that he's always with us, but that doesn't always feel, you know, that yeah. we may not always have that feeling. So to yeah. acknowledge that I think is important. And I think it's important for people to hear that you're not crazy. If you feel that way, you're, you're not alone yeah. in that. So I think that's good.
1: Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. I think very oftentimes, uh, and I'm not kidding when I say that the gospel of Mark did this to me, um, <laughs> because I, I think our tendency is to have a very sentimentalized faith and one that has is very tidy and sort of like hallmark oriented, mm-hmm. and um, the Gospel of Mark is just like um, it just kind of tears through all of that and just shreds it and kind of comes on the scene like a punk rocker and just wants to just let us know that <laughs> this is all way more complicated and than we think, and if we try to make something very tidy up uh, to it. Um, we're getting it wrong.
0: So, well, will you say a word about who Mark was? We didn't do that in the introduction. He's it's Mark is John Mark. Will you talk yeah, just briefly about who he was, who he is?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, Mark is, that. that's the traditional attribution of this gospel, that it was John Mark uh, whom we discover uh, quite a bit about in the Gospel of Acts in the New Testament. Um, although in the gospel of mark itself he does not make himself a character so there's a sense in which it's not totally that important but i think um there's something about his appearance on the pages of the new testament that i think resonates with the spirit of the gospel of mark and um his mother was uh his mother's house was one of the meeting places for the early church in the in uh, the book of acts so he would have known all of the major players in the early days of the church, like mm. Barnabas and John and Peter and James. They would have been in and out of his house. Um, he would have known them quite well. He is a cousin of Barnabas, and he goes on um, Paul and Barnabas's uh, first mission journey. And uh, what's kind of interesting is he goes home early, back to Antioch. Um, he, and it it seems like there's some notes in Acts that indicate that maybe he was fearful or he wasn't um, up for everything that they were encountering on their mission journey. And um, before any of us pass judgment on Mark for that reason, let's just keep in mind that you know the short-term mission trips that I've been on are not Paul's mission trips. <laughs> right. you know, he gets stoned to death, he gets beaten. You know, they they end up in jail. So um, for some reason, Mark maybe didn't have the stomach for that. I'm not really sure, but he gets sent home. And Barnabas wants to take Mark along on their second journey, but Paul objects to that. And that results in a split between Paul and Barnabas, and they they sort of find new partners and go on a mission separately. But um, late in Paul's ministry career and then late in Peter's ministry career, Mark is with each of them. So if you, if you track through like the openings and the closings of, um, of, I think it's first Peter, um, but then some of Paul's letters, even up to the end, Mark, I mean, he has relationships with everybody in the early church, which is just really interesting because, you know, Peter and Paul did not spend a lot of time together and they did not necessarily get along. Um, But Mark is kind of a bridge between Mm -hmm. the two and, and he's just a prominent part of the drama of the early church. And I like to think of him as sort of, um, the first pastor's kid Mm -hmm. because he, you know, would have known all these people from the time he was a child. And I just wonder to what extent Mark, the gospel of Mark has its flavor. He sort of has the inside view of the drama, um, you know, going on in the early church and he kind of, he sort of has an unromantic view of all these characters. So he's able to tell the truth um, and and portray them in such ways um, that Matthew, Luke, and John don't. Like everybody notes that Mark portrays the disciples in a very negative light. Mm. Um, I don't think he has any agenda against them. I just think he's telling the story in such a way that he wants audiences to recognize it's possible to be so close to everything that Jesus is doing and get it wrong mm-hmm. that's his that's his heart I don't think he has anything against the disciples I think he wants his audiences to sort of be skeptical about their own tendencies
0: yeah which I mean if we're honest I think that's super relatable mm-hmm. <laughs> to be able to follow Jesus Big and time. yeah yep yeah, yep yeah, yep yeah. yep so when I asked you to talk about Mark apart from the introduction you said that mark eight twenty seven through thirty eight is something else you wanted to talk about? So I'm going to read the verses, and then I'd love for us to just work through the passage. So starting in uh, Mark 8:27, Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, "Who do people say I am?" They replied, "Some say John the Baptist; others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets." But what about you? He asked. "Who do you say I am?" Peter answered, "You are the Messiah." Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. <clears throat> what good is, is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can any anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation— the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So, first of all, what made you want to pick this section of Mark?
1: Oh, boy. This is a, um, this is a real pivotal passage, a real pivotal event. And what's interesting is it's uh, right before this passage that you just read, starting in verse 27. Jesus heals a man who's blind but he does it in two stages, which is kind of like, what is going on with that? And um, what I think is happening is Mark sets that episode against right next to this one to show that the disciples and Peter are like the man who's blind, who is healed partially. He sees people walking around like trees, but he's still in need of further healing. Peter and the disciples, they get Jesus. They know that he's the Messiah, but when they learn about Jesus' agenda to go to the nation's capital and die, they're like, what are you talking about? We're going to the nation's capital to drive out Romans, to, to, to bring in God's salvation. Like, we're going to triumph. We're going to win. There's going to be some great spectacle or something. We're going to participate in a movement that is successful. What are you talking about dying? Um, so they're still in need of greater healing they're still in need of greater uh, insight into what Jesus's agenda is all about um, and so this section starting from this episode that you just read all the way up to the end of chapter 10 where Jesus heals a second blind man blind Bartimaeus um, is 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 a discrete section it's a it's a specific section of Mark and it's called you know the travel section or Um, It's where Jesus and the disciples begin their journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem, where he's going to enter into conflict with um, all the temple authorities and and then eventually be uh, be put to death. So this is a turning point, um, this episode that we just read. And it's, um, yeah, it's one of those instances where the disciples reveal that they don't get what Jesus is about. Um, They want him to be a messiah of power, of spectacle, of triumph, of prestige, and they've signed up to a movement where they're going to be winners and um, where they're going to be able to basically be in the driver's seat of the culture. They're going to be able to say, this is going to be the future of Israel. You know, it's We're going to come out on top. And they don't realize that Jesus is going to suffer and die and then initiate this movement. Um, of suffering until the end of the age when then Jesus comes in triumph. But um, the way this whole thing works out is suffering now, triumph later, um, and they want the triumph now. And I think that this is, I think it's really pivotal because I think that this is um, uh, one of the main things that really shook me up in my study of the Gospel of Mark because Mm -hmm. I was raised and trained with a very Americanized Christianity where we come out on top. We're winners. Uh, we have lives of success. And well,
0: I think a very specific definition of what winning is. Don't you think?
1: Mm-hmm. You know, in what sense?
0: That that winning is, because uh, uh, I, I I struggled with God's goodness for a while because because of suffering. Like, how can these things go together? Like, winning might not be coming out on top. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like the the, oh, the right, importance right, right. of the importance that of, of suffering. I mean, I think that yes. this is so relatable in in our, at least in my walk with God. Of you know, kind of what you were saying, like, yes, we're going to be on top. This is so great, and then realizing, oh, there's that whole take up your cross part.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. By winning, I mean like having a life that's where there's no suffering, right? No injury. My kids turn out perfect. Um, they get into the colleges they want to get into. Um, I'm able to sort of build social status the way that I want to. You know, I don't, there are no hiccups in life. I never face a season of depression. My my children never face a season of depression. Um, none of us ever go through seasons of like searching and uncertainty. Like everything works out. Like I, I inherited that kind of Christianity that was so filled with promise that everything is going to be great in the American shiny vision of success. Great. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't given this kind of gritty, um, you know, God's goodness is seen in subtle ways. Um, the world is more complex than we imagine. Indeed, being Christian is going to be a life of suffering now insofar as it's we experience relief or goodness or joy, all that. Like, let's give thanks and celebrate that. But let's not have illusions about life. Um, we're going to have seasons of wandering or uncertainty or physical injury or job loss or um, divorce or you know whatever. This this world is not. We don't have guarantees mm-hmm. uh, to have a shiny kind of life or have a shiny kind of community, um, or even have you know. Uh, the kind of sway on the national scene that we want to have, which is actually, I mean, that's what Peter really wanted to have. He wanted to determine the course of Israel's future. And I think that that's a a definite temptation on the part of American Christians. Like we we want to have a say in how things go in our nation. And it's like, you know, Jesus's agenda is just so different. And I think that that is what, you know, overall... Mark is wanting Christian audiences to to lean in and like and inquire, like in what ways is it different? Because it just really is. It's I mean all the way up until the end of Mark, where it ends in this really odd way. I think Mark wants to leave audiences in a place where they are leaning in and, and saying, We need to go back to work and figure out like how did our kind of following Jesus become so embedded with all kinds of cultural prejudices and idolatrous promises that we have thought are biblical, or we've thought they are Christian, but maybe they're more cultural and not necessarily faithful to the way of Jesus.
0: Yeah, in verse 33, when Jesus says, you're setting your mind on the things not, mm-hmm. you're or, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man, that, I mean, like, Romans twelve two talks about the renewing renewing of our mind, but this is, sounds like more than that. Like not renewing, but actually like replacing. Do you know what I mean? Like surge yes. out, Like take out and put in something new.
1: Yep, totally. Yeah, and Mark or Jesus in Mark uh, kind of gets at that in the parable of the soils in chapter four, uh, verses one to twenty, when he talks about how all other kinds of concern enter in and choke the word and make it unfruitful. And yeah, Christians and churches can have other agendas at work. We can sort of have um, a variety of desires that, that replace becoming communities oriented by the cross. And um, we can become people that have human concerns at the forefront rather than God's concerns, for sure. I mean, yeah. Peter spends all this time with Jesus, and he's still I mean, Jesus does not mince words when he says, Get behind me, Satan.
0: Yeah, I thought it was really, you had some really interesting things to say about that in the commentary. Um, and it's also around that Jesus was talking about that the Son of Man must suffer and die before mm-hmm. being raised and vindicated by God. Now I'm just going to read from the commentary um, that you're using a Greek verb there. How do you say the verb? D E I?
1: Oh, day, yeah, day.
0: It's necessary, it's It's, a must, and that points to two realities. Jesus is executing God's predetermined will of inaugurating God's kingdom and overthrowing the rule of Satan, and the necessity of this taking place is according to God's character and the manner in which God works. Like, maybe it was somewhere else in here, you were talking about Satan being at work and Peter Mm -hmm. kind of correlating, oh, that's what it was, that... What, G- what Jesus dying was disrupting Satan, like Satan also knew who he was, mm-hmm. but he didn't want him to die on the cross because that was going to yeah. be the game changer. Would you say a little yeah. bit more about that?
1: Uh, this, is, this is, going back to narrative analysis we talked about previously, um, this is so interesting to, to analyze how Mark constructs the character Satan in his narrative. Because anybody and everybody can guess that Satan is the enemy of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. But it's like, in what way is he the enemy of Jesus? Mm -hmm. Um, In Mark, Satan is not opposed to Jesus being the son of God. Like, that's not a problem. He already knows that. What Satan is going to try to tempt Jesus to do is to become the son of God in power without going through suffering. Mm -hmm. He wants it. So he tempts him to grab for spectacle, to grab for prestige, to grab for power. Um, And so, I mean, he wants him to bypass the cross and just go right for the power. And so Jesus knows that the way of the one true God is to go through suffering and only then let, and, and to leave the granting of power in God's hands. Like you don't grab for it, you don't grasp for it. You leave it to God that 's only god's to grant, and jesus is going he's going to do that um and so when he hears the temptation out of peter 's mouth to not go to the cross he he thinks i 've heard that before
0: mm.
1: it's come from the mouth of Satan that is the satanic temptation to grab for power to grab for prestige to grab for you know to to go for spectacle or whatever is impressive uh to build image and to you know to impress humans and to build to build the the movement that Jesus is building by appealing to people's desires um instead of speaking the truth about what it will cost um I, I mean, mean is that a that
0: word for us today or what
1: oh big time <laughs> I'm telling you when i s this is what I mean when I say when I studied the gospel of mark it it sent me into a crisis I was like oh my word, my entire way of being Christian has to just be flipped on its head. Mm I don't know how many times I just flopped back in my chair and was like, God have mercy. (laughs) Like, this is not at all the kind of, like, when you look at the details, it's like, wait a minute, I grew up in a megachurch. Like, it was all about, you know, appealing to desires and appealing to what would build a big youth group and, and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, oh my word. I mean, in Mark's gospel, Jesus dies alone because you cannot sell the cross. You you Mm -hmm. cannot market the cross, like come and die. And the disciples, they all flee at the end. They're like, forget this. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a real, the, the gospel of Mark is geniusly constructed to speak a word of confrontation to the very kind of Christianity that I grew up in. And um, it's very unsettling. I mean, Mark does his work because he really shook me up.
0: Yeah. So that, I yeah, I'm not gonna get past that any time soon. That was so good. <laughs> um, we just have about a minute left. Is there anything else from from this section that you wanted to make sure that we talk about or hit on, or you know, something from the last word about the book of the Gospel of Mark before we go?
1: I think the most one of the most pivotal parts of uh, aspects of Mark is to see how chapter four verses one to 20 is basically a preview of everything that happens in the gospel of Mark. Mm. It's the parable of the soils. And I always heard it preached. And I I think I did preach it once or twice as like, here's how to have a well-cultivated heart and you should do these things and not do these things. Um, What I came to find is that the soils, the three soils um, that are bad are the disciples, and they each, um, the disciples basically um, illustrate the three negative soils in the Gospel of Mark, and these unexpected characters illustrate the fruitful soil in the Gospel of Mark, like Mm -hmm. the woman with the hemorrhaging, you know, the the, the hemorrhaging woman in Mm -hmm. uh, Mark 5, um, the woman, the Syrophoenician woman in Mark seven, and the superhero of the Gospel of Mark really is the woman at the beginning of chapter twelve who breaks the alabaster jar mm. and um, uh, anoints Jesus. I mean, she's the one that Jesus commends with like an outrageous commendation. Like whatever the Gospels preached throughout the, whole, throughout the whole world, this what this woman did will be mentioned. I mean, she's the uh, the fourth soil that's super productive. So I what I came to realize is. Chapter four, verses one to twenty, is um, a way. Is Mark's inviting readers to pay attention to how this works out throughout the rest of the Gospel of Mark? Uh, It's not necessarily like an exhortation. It 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 is an exhortation for us to um, imitate the right kind of characters in Mark's Gospel. But I never realized before how it pointed to the rest of the Gospel. It's really interesting.
0: Mm, That is interesting. Your passion for the Gospel of Mark is palpable and contagious. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Timothy Gumbas, for taking the time to talk with us again. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. It's been a blast.
0: And thank you for joining us for this conversation about the Gospel of Mark. And we will see you next time on Reading the Bible Together. Thank you for listening to this conversation on Reading the Bible Together. These conversations are available because of your support. You can become a supporter now at MyFaithRadio.com. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes and share it with friends so together we can inspire more people to read the Bible together.